So they're going to take the money on and the offer open the market, service on right? the open market yep. to financial institutions, to NGOs, to media organizations, anybody else, but not to government security agencies. All right, it's time for another episode of Grow the Dream. Today, the value of micro-influencers using data and Twitter cuts off U.S. intelligence agencies. Plus, Snapchat and Instagram with major news updates, all of that and a lot more coming up next. Looking forward to it. Welcome to the most indispensable show for people doing the hard work of growing your business. It's the marketing podcast by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Welcome to Grow the Dream. All right, welcome to episode 67 of the Grow the Dream show. 67. Rod, how are you today? I'm doing well. We are missing our partner in crime today. Uh-huh. Should we uh, give away where he is? Oh, we should totally rat him out. Okay, so yesterday... At the last minute. At the last minute, uh, on our Slack project you know, feed here between us, we get a message from the one and only Josh Mucho. Hi, Josh. Who said... Hey, I got an offer to go deep sea fishing tomorrow morning, and I'm totally going to take it. So you guys are on your own. Love you. Some crap about his wife really enjoying it, and you know it's a rare opportunity because of family members and something, and I don't know what, but whatever. So basically, he could have been right here with us right now and with all of our listeners, and he ditched it all so that he could go deep sea fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. Whatever. <laughs> Kids, jeez, millennials. Kids, Josh is gonna love this show when he listens to it. Yeah, the intro is gonna be his favorite, I'm sure. But anyway, hey, so speaking of millennials, uh, Rod, this week something big was announced that I'm still, I mean, I'm really, I'm staggering, uh, staggering, no less. Okay, I'm not staggering. Let me let me make that clear. This is a staggering uh, piece of of information. Okay, are you ready for this? Yes. Snapchat surpassed Twitter this week in Android installs. Oh, that is actually a little bit staggering, isn't it? Yeah, truly. I, I'm, 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 I'm still, I'm. You know, of course, we talked. We actually talked about Snapchat last week because um, I started using it. You started using it. Have you? Are you playing with the filters on your on your phone? Yeah, I, that's all the using I did. Well, I actually haven't checked them out this week. I guess they they put new ones every day. Okay. So um, I'm a little behind the times. Yeah, since I have several millennials living in my house, I don't really need to do it myself because they're always doing it too. Yeah. So as soon as I see them giggling around, looking at each other, I know exactly what's going on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, they have overtaken Twitter in in and installed apps on Android devices in the U.S. So this is a U.S. Wow. statistic. Um, it was installed on 22.7% of U.S. Android devices, which is just above Twitter's 21.8% of those devices at the end of April 2016. That is so interesting. It, does the data show on Apple devices? Uh, this particular story doesn't seem to mention iOS. I would be interested to see if there was a difference between Apple users and uh, Android users. Right, and 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 because there's a, we know there's a cultural difference exactly. between the two. Exactly. Um, and my suspicion is that more of the younger audience probably has an iPhone over Android. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if there's data somewhere about with you know the the 
age demographics on Android versus iPhones and iOS, but it seems like iOS is certainly the trendiest thing. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but that is that is uh, staggering, truly. As a geek, it pains me to say that iOS, you know, is trending, but yeah, it, uh, it is what it is. But and, and and amazing what Snapchat is accomplishing out there. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and it's very difficult uh, for us who are are not millennials <laughs> or younger because, I mean, these these teens and tweens yeah. are using it. Right. I, I still it, it it's easier now. I, I will admit the very first time I tried it, it, it made no sense to me whatsoever. Right. My, my my nephews would send me stuff and I and I would I, I never saw it because I apparently you had to hold your finger on the thing when you opened it long enough. And if you let go. It, it went away, but that doesn't right. happen anymore. So, right. Um, but anyway, so uh, but but I still find it fascinating, and brands are still going to have to figure out whether it makes sense. I, I got to tell you, I feel a lot like like Snapchat, like I did in 2007 when people said, "There's this new thing called Twitter, and you should be on it for your business." And I was like, uh, "No, right, <laughs> right." Well, it could be. I mean, clearly, Twitter has that has the uh, the the ability to reach out. It's almost like the most micro blogging site you can have, right? I mean, there's a sense in which, you, you know, 140 character blogging. Right? Well, that with was link my, and all. yeah, that was my argument back then was like, uh, you can't blog much in 140 characters. Yeah, but with links, it makes all the difference in the world. Sure it does. And it drives so, traffic. Right. Yeah. And, and that all grew with Twitter over time. And so, Absolutely. so, you know, Snapchat may mature to something else from what it is now, or it just may not be something that ever makes sense. I mean, you know, last week we talked about Periscope and wondering whether that will ever make sense and that concept will ever make sense for businesses. And doesn't seem to be that they're really jumping on board right now. Live video, though, is gonna is gonna make a difference, and of course, Facebook is now the leader in that. I mean, they've they've rolled it out now. Right. It's on Android now, so it's not just you can you can use Facebook Live from an Android device, um, as well as iPhones. Originally, it was only iOS, and there are some uh, businesses that are making a business out of Facebook Live video, just like they did out of YouTube back when you know. Right. Uh, that seemed to make the most sense. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's on the radar. I don't know if you're a business owner, if it's time to move just yet, mm-hmm. unless you sell to teenagers. That's about it. I just wouldn't see it. Unless, right, unless you're, and you might. So you know, your entire your target market is that teen sort of thing. It'll be interesting to see how that uh, shapes up over time. So I was pretty fascinated by that one. Uh, another, speaking of uh, social networks and, 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 and change, this week, there was a huge brouhaha uh, because Instagram made an enormous splash with their announcement that they had redesigned. So Instagram has redesigned. And I got to tell you, Rod, you're an Instagram user at all? No. Okay. I, I have the Instagram app. Yeah. I've even you know published from time to time. I post to it once in a while. I did not notice the... <laughs> Interesting. I got to tell you, the UI changes that they're talking about were, were subtle, subtle enough. Okay. That it just didn't know. Now the 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 logo change is pretty. It's pretty bold because now it's this purple-ish orange gradient thing. Um, it still has kind of the the traces of the the old camera. Okay. In the in the logo. Right. Um. But but it's it's subtle. If you didn't know that it was Instagram, you might not know it was Instagram. Oh wow. Well, that's not subtle then. Right. What I mean that that subtle is the traces of the camera are subtle. Oh, I see. Yeah, I it's just, it's right. sorry about that. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, well, I mean, I, nobody likes my reasoning for this, but the reason I don't use Instagram and and it just hasn't been a necessity for clients of ours, 
Um, but the reason I don't use it is because, and here it comes, and here, get ready for the eye roll. You might want to stretch your eyeballs. Anybody who's listening. Okay, let, me, let me warm them up. Warm them up now. All right. Yeah, there we go. Is that you cannot enlarge the picture. That's they true. Won't con- let you, you can't pinch and zoom. They are, they are totally, you know, yes. overly controlling there. And so, you know, unless the picture is well-framed and taken originally when posted, um, then uh, you're just, uh, you know, out of luck there. You're just out of luck. And I can't tell you how many pictures I've looked at there. Uh, you know, because my wife uses Instagram, everybody else uses Instagram. Um, show this, and I want to zoom in a little bit. I want to see faces a little more. I want, oh, you can't do that. Stupid app. So I don't use it. So do you think maybe younger eyes might be a. a I'm nearsighted. I see really well up close. Oh, I do too. I'm the same way. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's not usually a problem. Oh, all right. Well, that'll be interesting to see. It, uh, could be a, it could be a get off my yard moment. I don't know. It could be. <laughs> uh, it could be. No, but I'm with you, though. I like to be able to zoom in on pictures and, yeah. you know, move them around with yes, your finger and, exactly. you know, yeah, that doesn't work. So and um, why don't they? Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know. Uh, by the way, I don't think you could do that on, uh, on Snapchat either. So just to warn you, the disappointment is coming there also. Uh, so maybe I just won't even set myself up then. So Dropbox made a change this week. I don't know that this is really big news, but I, I, I feel like this is one of those things that you could, you could be a Dropbox user all the time, not know about this and it could come back and bite you. Um, it could also be very useful. So I just want to make this okay. little, this little, I got an email from Dropbox this week and they said, good news, Dropbox shared links just got better. So if, you know how Dropbox works. You can take a folder and share it with someone, right? Right, And then they have access to the folder. If you give them access, they can edit stuff. Right. They can put things in the folder and whatever. But there's a completely different way to share things on Dropbox. And that is just to go find a file and uh, right click it and get the link. Right, and that link and you can share that link. Then. Yeah, and 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 they they made some upgrades to links a little while ago, in that you could make them expire, uh, so that it wasn't just a permanent link forever and ever to that file and 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 all of that sort of good stuff. But for the most part, it's kind of a whoever has that URL can visit that thing, right? Right. So here's the problem: if you ever move the file on your hard drive, the link died. Sure. Because it was staying in sync and all right. of that sort of stuff. And it wasn't there anymore, so the link was no good. Right. And if you did that intentionally because you wanted to break the link, that was great. But if you did it by accident because you're reorganizing things or, God forbid, somebody else reorganizes your Dropbox folder on their computer, uh, which reorganizes yeah. it on yours, and they invalidate your link because they moved something around. So I don't know if you work with teams, this, this can happen. Well, So that's a good fix then. Well, with Dropbox, for well, for that reason, it is. So, what Dropbox has done is they have made the link follow the file. So, if you rename the file, if you reorganize and move things around or whatever, the link will follow that file around. So, if you're expecting that it breaks the link by, you know, moving but, the file. But so, here's the thing to me that mm-hmm. makes sense to this. So, the first one, what they're fixing is people who inadvertently are doing it. I'm sure that's the driver. You know, on teams and whatnot. And this takes care of that problem. The second one, that's a proactive thing that somebody's doing anyway. They want to break that link. In other words, you're you're moving it so that you break that link. So as soon as you know that's not the case now, as as soon as you know that's not the case now, you're going to be able to... um, this segment's over, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the timer. Yeah. yeah that's right. You yeah. see what I'm saying, though? Because yeah, yeah. Then, then you proactively, you just do it another way. You do, and they gave you the way to do it. It's dropbox.com slash links, and there you can find all your links that you've created, and you can just click the X next to the one that you want to get rid of, and it'll still get rid of it. So there's a new way to break the links. Right. 
Uh, but well, the, this seems to me like a net improvement. I, I think it's a net improvement. I can see why they made the decision to do it. Right. But like I said, if you weren't aware of this little change with Dropbox. Well, then you should have checked your email from them. Uh, oh, yeah, because I read all my emails. <laughs> and none of them will go to spam. Uh, right, exactly. Especially <laughs> crap like this. So uh, anyway, it's one of those things. That, Dropbox is such a great tool, but it has some really frustrating quirks that take a little getting used to. And right. so uh, anyway, we wanted to try to eliminate one of those for you. All right. Yeah, so uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about something that you can do with micro-influencers. And some really good data behind it. I like that. Yeah. All right, but first, we're going to talk about ways to increase your response. So, uh, Rod, I, I uh, know we, we talked about this last week, but we have a new free giveaway that we want to invite you to take advantage of as our listener. You can, um, you can find it on the web at gtdshow.com slash response. Just pop your name and email address in there. You can download this free guide. And, uh, it, it, you know, when, when I prepared this way back when, uh, it originally began as a series of blog posts, as I mentioned last week. Right. And it was really for people who were managing their own marketing but maybe had never had some training in marketing in uh, in a you know in a classroom setting or whatever. A lot of people went to business school. You know, there's not a lot of marketing training. Well, what it turned out here's what I found out. We ran a marketing course for a while where I taught some of this material. Right. And an ad agency signed up for it. And I thought, oh well, that's cool. Ad agency. Hey, cool. And they came and they signed. Well, after the first couple of weeks of our training, they made it mandatory for all their employees to attend. Wow. What were they seeing in it? They said, nobody teaches this stuff. <laughs> you know, like they had many of them with marketing degrees, business schools, all that sort of stuff. And they ran a freaking ad agency and they said, this is material that nobody has taught. Wow. <laughs> so uh, that's why I prepared it uh, in, in the form of blog posts. I said, I said, you know, these are some things you need to know. So last week we talked about headlines um, as, a, as a component. Right. Uh, one of the five ways is to use a good headline. Right, but there's you got you got five ways. That's right. In this, one of them I uh, note and I note with uh, promising anticipation <laughs> is uh, to make a bold promise. You know, if you're boring, this this factors in. By the way, boring factor the boring factor shows up in more than one of the ways. But if you're boring, people don't notice. So you might as well make a bold promise. Right. A lot of people don't realize. You know, with marketing, that's what we're really doing is we're making promises. You think about it, right? Right. This gadget will extend your battery life or that thing will make you more money. or what? And a lot of times we, we don't make promises because we're too busy talking about the the features right. of our... Right. Sometimes you have to go to 30,000 feet, don't you? You really you do. Have, you have to say, here's the deal. This is going to make your life better just for this. Yep. You know, here's how it works. So here's, here's one of the exercises. Rod, we can do this in about 15 seconds. I'll give you a quick exercise. Uh, Rod, why should someone buy uh, PR services from you? I'm totally putting you on the spot. Uh, yeah, so they increase their company's uh, uh, visibility. Okay, and so they can sell more products. Okay, and thank services. you. So, so yeah, and that might. So my question is, oh, so they increase their visibility. Well, what would be the benefit of that? Right. I, and then you sorry. said, okay, they'll sell I went, more. I went up another level. So let me ask you a question: What's the benefit of selling more products? Uh, selling more products and services. Uh, well, more revenue, more money. Okay. And growing your business. Okay. What's the benefit of more money? Uh, well, that depends on your personality, I guess. Yes, it does. But give me one. <laughs> uh, You're doing great so far. Yeah, you can go deep sea fishing. You can go deep sea fishing. Okay. Hire Rod and you can spend more time 
deep sea fishing. There you go. I get it. That is a bold promise. So the exercise there was to ask for the benefit of the product, then ask for the benefit of the benefit, ask for the benefit of that benefit, yep. and go as many layers as you can until you draw a straight line all the way to through to something that's really a bold promise. That's excellent, David. You like that? I do. All right. That's one of the things you can find in... Five ways to increase your response. Visit gtdshow.com slash response. Man, it's worth it just for that. For your copy. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Good job. Thank you. I like that. So, um, Rod, you found this story on, 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 on micro-influencers. And we talked about influencer marketing before, but it, it does seem like this sort of daunting project that you have to sort of engage in if you want to find influencers in your industry and maybe even spend money and all of that sort of good stuff. So, so what the heck is a micro-influencer. Well, yeah, Sarah Ware at Markerly wrote this um, article on, it's on PRNewsline.com. Uh, but they did a lot of research, uh, Markerly did. And, and I just want to share some of the numbers. And I know numbers on podcast radio are a little bit tough, but this is really important because this data makes the point. Okay. Um, uh, the, the study by Markerly, Markerly, it's Markerly, M-A-R-K-E-R-L-Y. It's hard to say. It really I, is. I want to say market. Markerly, yeah. Markerly, okay. Markerly, uh, focused on uh, Instagram influencer followership and engagement. And, okay. And here's the trend: as the follower numbers rise, engagement decreases. I believe that. Right. So you we've know, seen it on a Facebook lot of people, too. A lot yeah. of people want it. You know, they want to get on. Let's just go for it. The, the Kardashian thing. Wouldn't that be great? Or the Taylor Swift. You know, whatever. Um, because of the huge numbers of following. Um, but of course, it's virtually impossible to get on those, uh, you know, to get a to get a plug from them and all. So the this micro influencer is 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 looking at these numbers. It says Instagram influencers with fewer than one thousand followers have a rate of about eight percent of engagement rate. Well, Interesting. Eight percent. One thousand to ten thousand followers have an engagement rate of four percent. Dropped yeah, okay. in half. Okay. Rates continue to drop as it rises. It's ten thousand to a hundred thousand followers, it's two point four percent. Interesting. One million to ten million, one point six percent. Okay. So you see how far it is. And then there's a similar trend they found, David, um, among um, comment rate statistics. So they went another level here. Uh. Where the data is that point one six percent comment rate with influencers of ten thousand to hundred thousand. So okay. point one six percent compared to 0.05% for 1 million to 10 million. So it's three times as much for the smaller one in the comments. So you're getting a ton more engagement here um, in the- With the smaller follower count. smaller followers. And of course, the smaller follower counts often have um, more specific niches, which allow you to target. So Taylor- which is, which is why the engagement, one of the reasons why the engagement is It high. is, and it, why it makes so much more sense to be pursuing those and a number of those rather than going for the biggest fish in the pond. So you could actually- if you did the math on this, and I'm not, I'm not um, that quick with numbers uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to actually do a, like a financial analysis on the air right now, but right. if you were to spend big bucks on an influencer that had huge numbers of followers, you could actually find yourself getting less actual engagement. We know the engagement rate is lower right, right for the bigger follower counts right. based on this, but if you're... If you, if you spend money and you got you know X number of engagements out of it, th the, the theory behind this is that you could spend a geometrically smaller amount of money on a on an influencer with fewer followers. Right, and it, and in fact, um, Markerly here uses an example that they, oh, good. they did at their company where, with uh, Quick Takes container products, um, and they Markerly worked with them to identify 
an, a uh, niche um, long tail foodie. Okay, this is Dixie. Okay, is Dixie. I, I didn't yep. recognize the Quick Takes brand, but Sorry, I recognize it's, it's Dixie. Dixie. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, your basic household brand there, Dixie. I think a lot of people recognize Dixie. And now I'm whistling Dixie in my head. Okay. Boom, yeah. yeah. So they have that parent uh, parenting influencers. They want to produce evergreen content that would resonate with those target markets. Okay, know, it makes the, sense. Yeah, foodies and parents. Um, so by focusing on the audiences that could really use the product, like the moms and the dads um, in the world that need a quick load-and-go solution, as they call it, for homemade lunches. Load-and-go, that's actually a good phrase. That is a good um, phrase. Yep, and the foodies that uh, make in bulk and then save for later. Dixie was able to produce media value that was over 100 times the original predicted value. So here's their numbers on their budget. I know it. It's compelling. I mean, it's one example, but you take this one example, an anecdotal example, and combine it with their data, and you start to see a compelling case here. So they had a budget of $10,000. Um, which is pretty modest budget uh, for Dixie. For Dixie, yeah. I mean, these um, are people on every grocery store store aisle exactly. I've ever seen. So right? this I'm, is this. My guess is this was just a little trial thing. Let me for rephrase Dixie. on the gro- on the aisles of every grocery store I've ever seen, not on there every you go. grocery store aisle. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> no problem whatsoever. <laughs> it's the detail oriented guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So you know, I'm looking at this and I'm suspecting that Dixie was just doing a trial here to see. They're only putting 10, 10 grand into this for their quick takes campaign. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, there's ten k. Okay, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Um, and so, but they ended up in that with that ten thousand dollars. They earned uh, one million dollars in media value with a reach of seventy-seven million, and it's still growing, of course, because this thing that's evergreen just sort of keeps going. They reached seventy-seven million people with ten thousand dollars. That's right, and uh, and I'm assuming that those are are somewhat well targeted people they reached wow. too. So from the end of the campaign, uh, 2014 through 2016, blog posts. Increased from sixty-four thousand to four hundred and forty-eight thousand, and pins uh, in Pinterest uh, from thirty-seven thousand to two hundred and thirty-four thousand. So, did they blow all this ten k on Instagram, or was the Instagram data just there to kind of show a representative? Like, in other words, did, did they talk about whether some of their influencers were on Pinterest? I think they're across different ones because they have blog posts and everything. So they, you know, I don't. Um, I don't know if they if they just used one of the platforms and then yeah. spread that across the other because platforms or if they see, originated elsewhere also. Yeah, you could see Instagram posts showing up as pins because they're visual and you could pin Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Sort of but, and that really, I got to tell you, while Instagram content I feel, I feel is a little less evergreen because it, it's, it's such a feed-driven thing, Right. Pinterest is not that way. Man, Pinterest stuff comes back and it comes back and it, it comes does. back and it, and, and it, and it drives ridiculous traffic. That's true. So uh, especially if you have your good visual visuals that you were talking about earlier. Right. So, um, you know, where it's well taken photography and you so, know. And so I feel like, you know, what this is pointing at is we've talked about it with influencers, you know, influencer marketing before. And I think that in a sense, we were probably intuiting that that was micro influencer. We weren't really talking the Taylor Swift's of the world and all. Um, but if you can find a whole list of influencers, once once you've identified your product's target market and in this case you know they, they had two targets they were going after and then you identified the bloggers um and whoever else is in that podcasters whoever else is in that niche that's that hint, the, hint. really where you have an existing engaged audience that's right. purposely listening to them and then you work through them as the influencer and you know there's a lot of ways that can be done you can be it can be guests and whatnot but a lot of it is sponsorship it's paid time I mean, there's or it's, it's collaborative, you know, or it's collaborative. Going back to that episode that we did uh, a few months ago uh, with with Kristen from um, uh, from Group High. Yes, 
she did a fantastic job of talking about ways to collaborate. It's true. And, you know, the the author of this, Sarah from Markerly, who wrote this post you're talking about, she dropped another really big tip at the bottom of this article that is really fantastic. She says, leave behind the mindset that content needs to be produced on a campaign basis. And she said, working with micro-influencers gives you the opportunity to have content being produced about your brand on a daily basis continually for years. Right. That is really, really great. No, it is. And it actually, it makes it a much less daunting um, process to get started with. It really does, because you could start with one. Yeah. You could start, start with 50 it's bucks. It's almost like that. Yeah. Just do it. Just get started. Get started. Uh, yep. Just get started. And don't wait until you have this whole mammoth Napoleon-like campaign laid out. I like it. I like it a lot. So we're going to link out to this story. It's a fantastic article worth reading. Uh, and you'll find it in the show notes, which, by the way, you can always do this with our shows. It's pretty easy to find the show notes for any episode, as long as you know the episode number. And it's displayed right there on your device. Uh, but our uh, our show notes are always found at growthedream.com slash shows, followed by another slash and the episode number. So right now, this will be 067. So 067 is how to find it. Growthedream.com slash shows slash 067. You can find all the stories we've talked about so far, plus this one and Rod in a few minutes. We're going to be talking about how Twitter has actually done something pretty staggering uh, themselves. Yeah, they have. And then the question we want to talk about is, is it, is it the same issue as Apple had? Because both of them are dealing with the federal government here. And Twitter kind of, I mean, I don't want to say it, but it's a rude gesture. <laughs> All right, listen up. We'll talk about that in a moment. David. What if somebody is looking for some really supercharged web hosting? What's the best option out there? Like when you need to get your website to respond much faster Correct. than it does? Like reduce your load times? The whole thing there. WP Engine. Really? Look, because we're all using WordPress. I hope you're using WordPress. But uh, if you're not using WordPress, you need to do that. But WP Engine is nothing but WordPress hosting. And actually, I have to warn people. They don't even do your email hosting for you, okay? This is all about, this is how finely tuned and highly focused they are on making sure your site loads really quickly, is that's all they do, is supercharged WordPress hosting. And we want to invite you to check them out. You can find them at gtdshow.com slash WPEngine, and you are going to love the features. Uh, Rod, we talked before about how easy it is to move. No. Like, you've already got a WordPress site, you want to move it, you know, historically that meant downloading the database, oh, huge hassle, downloading all the files, copying them over. Then you, you know, you load them all up on the new platform. Then you change your DNS and you hope everything works, right? Not with WP Engine. You install a plugin. It does the work for you. Moves everything over on a temporary URL. You can test it to see if it works. And then you flip the switch, and only then when you already know it's going to work properly. So stupid simple. It is fantastic. Talked about support. Great support. I did have a couple of questions and different issues and things, and I'll tell you what. They took fantastic care of me. You can always find them on chat, um, which is how I liked it. I'd, I'd rather chat than talk. I, me too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good stuff. So invite you to check them out, gtdshow.com slash WPEngine. And we're back with more of episode 67. Twitter says, screw you, America. Well, that's a nice way of putting it. Thank you. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal did this article um, that is very, very interesting and has kind of uh, set certain spheres afire because it has to do with politics. And of course, 
politics, every, everything to do with politics, not right now, seems to be fiery. Right? Spin, 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 spin. Yeah. Um, so, but this was interesting, I thought, because we had a long discussion several episodes back uh, regarding, you know, uh, the feds and breaking Apple um, iPhone uh, in order to uh, determine the, you know, San Bernardino terrorist information and whatnot. And, and if our listeners uh, heard that one, they know where we came down on that. And I and will. It's also one of our most popular episodes. Yeah, I will also say that um, uh, while I was wrong, I'm not sure I was wrong. So it, it appears that the FBI is either doing the long con with this thing and, <laughs> and maintaining their story because they're now saying, "Well, we broke into the phone. We we didn't really get anything." Uh, so either they're really, really committed to this thing, uh, or uh, or I don't know if if, if or or I was wrong. <laughs> And if I was wrong, then they actually hadn't broken into the thing before the whole case was filed. So right. I don't know. We'll see. But well, either that way. On that. But on, on the philosophy of it, though, you exactly. weren't wrong. And, and, that's, and that's the bigger point. And I really wish this thing had gone to uh, the court. Well, I don't think the feds wanted it to. Of course not. So, yeah. all right. So let's let's take up this uh, this Twitter issue now, though, because yeah. here now we go from Facebook to Twitter. And, and this just shows, you know, the shifting sand and how everybody needs to adapt. And obviously, the federal government and security agencies and all are trying to adapt because the because the feds and our security agencies have been under, uh, I think, reasonably a lot of fire for not being aware of terrorist um, attacks coming in all. So Fair enough. Yeah, we want to prevent them. W- it would be great. I think everybody agrees on that. Um, so the Wall Street Journal reported, however, that Twitter has cut off U.S. intelligence agencies from access to an exclusive tweet sifting service that Twitter owns a 5% stake in, and it's called Data Miner. Uh, I, by the way, I hadn't heard of them before. Uh, I hadn't either before this story. Nope. Um, but apparently, it's an interesting company. Its staff sends clients valuable um, analysis and alerts of, quote, unfolding terror attacks, political unrest, and other potentially important events. Now, Data Miner will sell this to, you know, maybe not anybody, but they'll sell it to private interest. They're not working uh, for, they're not part of the government or anything. They're a private company. They created this algorithm. They find this stuff. They, you know, they follow millions of tweets and all. They sift it down and they identify alerts. Now, the interesting part here is that um, it's really worked. In the past two years, uh, the data miners worked with uh, government surveillance operatives, and they've detected and flagged real-time patterns of national security dangers. Um, and this is through millions of daily tweets. They did successfully. They offered early warnings on the Paris attacks on the Brussels jihad attack and on the ISIS attacks in the oil fields in Libya. They identified all those ahead of time. So clearly, this is working. Well, wait a second. What else the heck are they able to predict? Right. I mean, I, I mean, you know, because I'm like, whoa, 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 hold the presses. <laughs> you know, so this company is actually sorting through the, the, the Twitter verse. Right. In real time, apparently. Right. And selling insights to its customers. Correct. Interesting. Correct. So, uh, however, apparently Twitter, which, remember, owns 5% of DataMiner, um, and they haven't divested their ownership in it. They own 5%. They've decided that DataMiner will no longer be allowed to um, use their services for the federal government. So, from what I've read, DataMiner, or DataMiner, however you say it, was in, was in a pilot with the intelligence agencies at the time, an unpaid pilot. When Twitter nixed it, uh, but there was also a two hundred and fifty-five thousand dollar contract between Data Miner and the Department of Homeland Security. So there was there's there's DHS right 
paying them and then the intelligence agencies not paying them. Right. Very fascinating. Right. Although, I mean, I, I guess I guess Homeland Security is not technically an intelligence agency, but kind of. Well, isn't it under the Pentagon, DHS, or right. is it over the Pentagon? No, it, well, no because, it's under the Pentagon. Yeah, because that's the classic military intelligence argument. Right. right. Like, there's yeah. no but boom boom. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, right? Couldn't but resist. So, so, so there's so there's a little bit of a debate going on. First of all, in the political realm, this has you know conservatives and, and traditionalists and people who are who think that we are not doing enough to protect ourselves because of quote political correctness. Um, they have they're all fired up because they think Twitter is doing this because they don't want to um, offend Muslim jihadists or whatever. Um, so that's one side. So that's gotten that's gotten kind of the Twitter sphere. In, in that segment, all fired up. And that was a big part of the Twitter sphere that just is not, probably is not even aware of this and couldn't care less. But I think it's an important discussion because it can be conflated and um, to a degree is being conflated with Apple not cooperating with the feds on that San Bernardino thing. And, and I think that they are two different things um, because, I, first of all, I don't think there's any privacy principle. When you post to Twitter, you're posting it on a public platform for everybody. If it's public... Now you can have a private Twitter feed, like okay. in, in other words, a Twitter account that can data miner get those. I wonder. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. You know, I don't because know. wouldn't you think if if you were a terrorist and you were you know tweeting about your upcoming activities? I am, I'm just trying to think of the use case here. Right. So I'm a jihadist and I'm tweeting in code, presumably, right. but I'm doing something to let you know you know, hey, it's time for us to go. Right. You light your cell up, my cell's lit up. We're gonna go now. Right. And uh, I think I, I, I'm not sure it could be private from my limited understanding of the way that they are so loosely confederated with ones around the world um, that these codes are going out to all sorts of people at different times in different ways. And, and it's almost up to the others when they actually launch and implement and how and whatnot. OK, right. So I'm just uh, I'm making something up. But but if the but, but my my theory would be. Would I tweet that publicly or would I tweet that in a private account? Maybe I would do it publicly because then you, if you were an intelligence agency, you could clearly establish a relationship because I've only got followers that I've approved. So maybe that's right. maybe they would purposely tweet publicly. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Right. I would think it would be publicly, from my understanding. Um, but but again, this is this is such a this is that a voluntary thing. If it's public, to me, there's no debate there. Right. On, on the privacy principle, so there's absolutely no comparison with Apple. Plus, the government is not compelling Twitter in any way. The government was buying a service from a third party that Twitter owns a minority stake in, a service that Twitter is still, well, data miner, 5% stake by Twitter, is still selling to financial institutions, media organizations, and, and NGOs but around it, the world. Is it possible for anyone, from a technology standpoint, I believe this is the, that what I'm saying is, 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 is that it is not possible. I don't think it's possible for anyone to mine all of Twitter's data without direct access to Twitter's data. In other words, you can't just follow the public Twitter stream no, clearly, and try. Well, so, clearly so, that's how Twitter can nix this, I'm sure. Right. So they have an in, so data miner has to have an inside track in some way right. to Twitter's actual infrastructure. And at that point, Twitter, I mean, there's a TechCrunch piece on this also. And Twitter, uh, a Twitter spokesperson said, quote, we have never authorized data miner or any third party to sell data to a government or intelligence agency for surveillance purposes, end quote. So here, so here's my question then there. And I think this is where things get a little bit fiery is this is all voluntary. This is not the government compelling Apple. OK, this is Twitter and data miner 
often voluntarily offering this service. So they're going to take the money on and the offer open the market, service on right? the open market yep. to financial institutions, to NGOs, to media organizations, anybody else, but not to government security agencies. Interesting. That is interesting and a little bit disturbing. In my opinion. Well, okay, but so we, we're... So I mean, they have a right to. Right. I'm not saying anything that the government should be able to force them to at all. I'm just saying the fact that they are choosing to eliminate the security agencies and none of these other ones is so, troubling to but, me. But here's the thing that I think you have to look at from, from you know, the, the, the standpoint of a San Francisco Bay Area tech, tech company, Twitter or anyone else. The United States government is not the only government in the world that wants this data. Right. Um, you know, North Korea wants this data. Right. Uh, China wants this data. Mm -hmm. Other regimes that are clearly totalitarian and otherwise want this data. I mean, would you have had the Arab Spring, for example, uh, as freely uh, uh, flowing if this kind of data were being monitored by the Egyptian government, for example? Well, that is a really interesting example and a whole entire podcast of its own. Of course, I picked the one <laughs> example, but okay. Yeah, be, because that was North Korea. heavily manipulated. Okay, stick with North Korea and China and these other... These other <laughs> yeah, so I guess, again, yeah. and, and sometimes I, I feel like tech companies that are global, um, and particularly if they're based in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, they seem to lose a certain amount of clarity. And it, I feel like you ought to be able to see the difference between providing a service such as this to North Korea or to Iran or to the PLO and providing it to the United States really? or to Great Britain or to France. Okay, but on principle, how do you deny this if you're selling it on the open market? How do you deny it to uh, a, a totalitarian government if any other government can buy Here's it? Here's the principle. You don't, you don't supply it to totalitarian governments. On, on the basis of whose judgment? Like at what, at what well, point it, does this it... Is all, this, this has already been the judgment exercised by the leadership at Twitter. And I'm saying that's totally appropriate. I but, disagree with their judgment. I think their judgment should be different from this. So what they, but see, what they're saying is that this is, a, this is a longstanding Twitter policy, not a new development about, about not selling data to governments. Now here's... A, to, to, to really throw a, a, a rock in the pond here, okay? Data miner also has another investor, QTEL, which is the nonprofit investment arm of the CIA. Really? <laughs> so that's interesting. So so Twitter is okay with being in financial bed with the Well, the data miner. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, I don't Twitter know if I has misspoke. a 5% stake in data miner. So tw Twitter clearly, I mean, that's a large stake in a company. They have a 5% stake in them. 5% stake means you could potentially take over. If yes, you're, you know, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair bit. So they, they obviously know that the CIA's investment arm is also part of Data Miner. Now that makes me even a little bit more uh, knitted eyebrow about Twitter here. To me, well, this sounds an awful lot like is, Twitter responding to you're, uh, you're being racist against Muslims okay, or some but, such okay, silliness. So, so, but, but here's the thing that I, this, 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 is, this is what disturbs me about all of this, right? Any of these totalitarian governments, especially when they're a nation state that has huge budgets, they can manufacture a for-profit looking entity to buy the data. It's true. So, I mean, and just like our own government apparently is doing now, they're saying QTEL is a nonprofit uh, uh, investment arm of the CIA. So, you know, whatever. And, and, and obviously we know well, about that. Yeah, but how, many, how company. many companies does the CIA own that we don't know are owned by the CIA? Yeah, well, again, you know. another podcast. And we're both <laughs> going to be deeply distrustful of that, too. <laughs> right. 
So, so let me understand. So what I understand you to say is that Twitter really shouldn't hold data miners' um, feet to the fire to not sell to the U.S. government, but instead should be more selective about barring government access when governments are clearly not the U.S. government. Well, I, I gave other non-U.S. government I know ones, you did. But you did. So um, I would say yes, and I would say that not only does that make sense from on moral grounds, but it makes sense on your own um, company grounds going forward. Because, in other words, why, why would in any way would you want to enable the Chinese government, um, which clearly um, basically owns the Internet for a, more than a billion people on Earth, that yeah, it, limits your access as a company, et cetera? Why? Why would you want to do that? Why would you not want to help out the free democratic governments of the world, which is clearly where your product is flourishing. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know. I mean, you want, I mean, why would you want to sell to, um, to, uh, to Libya Morass or to the PLO or to... I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sell to them, of but of course not. I, 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 here's what I wonder. But then would you not also want to be able to help your own government um, actually stop terrorist attacks in in a voluntary way. I remember this is the important part. This but is here's voluntary. here's what I wonder: if you're a, a a Bay Area tech company and you've had to deal with pressure from Washington in the form of hey, we want access to your servers. I'm not talking about this deal. I'm talking about in the past okay. the kinds of deals that Snowden revealed to us. Right. The programs where. They just set up shop in the data centers and said, we're going to copy this data or we're right. going to watch it or we're going to otherwise, you know, monitor what's going on. Uh, if you had to deal with that all the time, at what point in time do you go, you know what? The U.S. government can't be trusted. Well, so I understand the emotions of that, but I wonder if there's also the idea where you say, look, this is the kind of arrangement we want to have where we voluntarily supply what we're going to voluntarily supply on the open market and we will supply it to you and we're not going to supply it to totalitarian murderous regimes we're not going to supply it to isis but we will supply it to you but it's going to be voluntary you're not going to set up shot here you're not going to run the show here you're going to be a, a client of ours at our discretion and say this is the way the relationship works not the other way but and if you throw this out you keep you're going to keep yeah, forcing the heavy hands and the boots in washington mm -hmm. To want to come back the heavy-handed way, we've already shown in this country that we no longer allow businesses to choose their customers. We have, in court, ruled that businesses no longer have the right to deny service to whoever they choose. Right, right. With uh, again another podcast on religious freedom. Yes. Well, um, but on other grounds too, and I'm not suggesting, by the way, that discrimination is good, um, but. What you're talking about is a form of discrimination where they say, well, I will discriminate against discrimination government. is absolutely good. Racial discrimination is not good. We all discriminate. We discriminate on whether we we're going to go to Starbucks or not go to Starbucks. I don't like Starbucks. I'm discriminating against Starbucks. Let's use the word rightly. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I feel better now. Thank you. But I mean, we're no longer free as business people in America to discriminate where our customers are concerned, whether it's yeah. racial grounds or not. I right. mean, you know, racial the, the, the racial stuff that that needed to be that needed to be fixed. Right. Um, we've gone way past that. We've we, gone we way agree. past that. Right. Yeah. No, so 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 the, so my question is, how is this different from uh, you know the because, it's consistent because, in other words with the with the with the idea? If I'm a tech company and I see the the courts are ruling that private businesses can no longer um, you know selectively deny service. To on, on on whatever grounds doesn't matter what the grounds are, 
then I, then I say, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm going to pick an entire category and say I don't sell to governments. Period. Oh, okay. So yeah, I didn't. All right. I don't. I'm not sure. I, I followed that totally because on the one hand, the government is saying, say to the to the baker, you have to sell to the gay couple for the wedding. You have to do this. Right. On this hand, the government is asking them, and Twitter has the opportunity to say yay or nay. That's a totally okay. But, situation. But, but that's why I'm saying if I'm Twitter and I say, well, if I agree to sell to this government then I've lost my ability to discriminate no, against you other governments. You have not at all. You should discriminate against other governments. But I know that the courts are going to rule that... Only if you go by the world court, because our court shouldn't be ruling whether they can sell to China's government or not. Right, but, but my, point, my point is that Twitter understands that their power to choose is being removed. It's, I'm looking at this from a, from, a, from a maybe perhaps too philosophical point of view, but it's nevertheless... You know, I could see where if I'm discriminating against that government over there, well, the, the federal government might come to me and say, hey, listen, we have a private deal. We know that the government of that nation over there is, eh, you know, they're on your list of people you deny service to, but we have a we have a private arrangement with them, so we need you to sell to them now. Right. And At what moment does that happen? Right. And But this is where you have the freedom and choice to say yes or no because it's your business but this is why I, I i'm saying that we no longer have that choice well I, well they do at this point on this apparently on this we'll see right <laughs> we'll see how long it lasts right, but, but if but if they if they keep <laughs> yeah. kind of giving the finger on things like this they might find a real pushback to where they no longer do have the choice that's why i'm saying that this is a bit of a heading off of a bigger um push against them potentially so so what you're saying is they should agree not because the gun's already pointed to their head but because the gun will be pointed yeah. to their head. Well, you sure that that would be one reason. I mean, I listed a few others that you I think did. are more compelling. But you that did. would certainly be that would be one of those just pragmatic reasons. It's an interesting question, you know, because uh, I'm not sure that 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 we have freedoms uh, of this kind anymore to choose. Well, well, we don't in some areas, right? And and, and I'm not saying. By the way, I, you know, for the record. I'm not saying that I want the freedom to deny service to people over their skin color or their or their even their religions. I, I you know, I, I understand why it happens and I understand how it gets abused. Um, but I think that that we are, again, dealing with a slippery slope. And this is where I, we can maybe circle back to the Apple argument. We deal with a slippery slope when um, there's when there's uh, a loss of choice. Right. Whether it's real or perceived. And whether it's current or future threatened loss of choice, right. uh, there's a slippery slope there. Um, there's potentially. I think that, I mean, the real and perceived, uh, there's, you know, there's the argument there's no real difference there, but there is a difference there. There is. And, and, sure. and to me, I, I continue to come back to on this particular issue, the, the difference is between the government forcing, mandating, coercing it, and the government requesting it and willing to pay for it like anybody else. Well, we want you to sound off. <laughs> on this as our listener. Yeah, let's hear from you. You can tweet us at GTD Show. Uh, you can also send an email to show at growthedream.com. But I want you to know, if you tweet us, it's public. And uh, the world might see it and data miner might capture it and sell your data. <laughs> but apparently not to the federal government. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I think Twitter is probably the better way to do it. You know, we actually have a steady stream of comments that come in for our show that are completely private. And and I and I laugh every time because I'm like you know I, I wish people would make these comments publicly it so we can we could dialogue. It would, so I'd, I'd love to have those public dialogues. You know who you yeah. are. So okay, so there's that. Um, that's a fun that's a fun story. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we'll have the tool of the week and uh, and more. 
Let me tell you about the time when I realized I had to manage a whole bunch of Twitter accounts. Matter of fact, that time happened to me just right now, and I'm doing it right now. Hey, you're tweeting. Who are you tweeting? You're tweeting. That's not your Twitter account. Matter of fact, it's not my Twitter account. Matter of fact, I just sent a tweet for a client using Hootsuite. Ah. While we're doing this. I like Hootsuite. It is so easy. It's so simple. Did my little drop down to the client. Did a little shrink the link there. Typed it in. Boom. <laughs> shrink the link there. And yeah. it has tracking on those links. Analytics. You it can does. measure. You can schedule it all over the place. Got a nice calendar view so you can see what all is coming up. Yep. Hey, doesn't it integrate with more than just Twitter? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You got Facebook on it. You got a number of different ones on it. Yep. And you can send all of that stuff and manage it all from a nice, easy interface. I like it. I it's also too. got support for Teams. I don't know if yep, you guys... Yep, yeah, we, teams on it. we have multiple users uh, uh, in our business that uh, have Hootsuite accounts all under that Okay, one. so like yeah. if you have like a customer service rep or something like you that. You can assign yep. stuff to people, designate who's responsible to respond to it, all nice. that sort of good stuff. Yeah, yep. it's a really great way for you to manage one big Twitter account as a team or to manage a whole bunch of Twitter accounts as one person Absolutely. or as many. You can run campaigns on it. You can even do ads through it. It's really, uh, it's expanding nicely. And if you sign up at gtdshow.com slash hoot, you will also be supporting Grow the Dream Show at the same time. Now, of course, you can use it for free, do but if you do the team stuff, it is a paid uh, a subscription. So yeah, do that thing you did earlier. Oh, you got to go to gtdshow.com slash hoot, hoot, hoot. <laughs> hey, uh, we think you'll like it. gtdshow.com slash hoot, hoot, hoot. <laughs> And we're back. Time for the tool of the week. Right. So if you all are like me in any way, you're always searching for the very best possible way in which you can keep track of all of your contacts, all of your potential leads, um, all the different levels and states that they're in, right? The the perfect CRM machine that works Wait, for you. Doesn't your sales department handle that for you, Rod? Uh, yes. My, my ever-expanding and large sales department in multiple <laughs> states and nations um, <laughs> is right now called Contactually. Okay, and, and that's, right. that's my tool of, of the week for us uh, is Contactually, which my son, Colin Thompson, turned me on to. Hey, Colin. Yep, and so uh, I'm, in a, I'm, a, I'm only in the trial period, but I really like what I see so far. You know, and it, what it does is it ha actually helps integrate, obviously, your email accounts, but all your social media identifies the key relationships and consistently follow up on them, close opportunities, whatnot. The consistently follow up on is something I really, really like because... One of the things they do is they have these buckets of topics. Okay. You know, prospects, clients, long-term prospects, former clients, et cetera, et cetera. You know, whatever project you're working on, and, and this can be these buckets, you could have, you know, dozens or hundreds maybe, depending how organized or disorganized you are. And then what you do is your list that you've been integrating into this, um, you drop in these different buckets. And the different buckets have contacts um, in them, but they have the reminder set up for, um, different timings. So if you want in this bucket, these people need to be coming up regularly. You're on top of these. You want this to come up every week. Others you might want to just follow long term. You know, every couple months you want to check in with them with an email. All of this is popping up for you. It can be emailed to you or however you'd like so it. It's, so it, it's in front of you every morning. I'm getting like there's three people here that uh, that it lists them out that you want to re. I'm reaching out to today, and it really forces that to happen each day. But it doesn't take very much time. But it's mostly about reminding you, right? So it, it, it doesn't does it do any emailing out to the okay, people so for like, you? And uh, I don't think so. Okay. Um, but but you can do it through the system there. Oh, okay. So like if you decide like I'm gonna, I need to follow up with Bob, and it and it reminded me this morning. Right. I could click a button and it would send an, an a note yes. to Bob. Oh, cool. Right. 
Right. So, I mean, it is hey, that Bob, way. if you're listening, we need to talk. <laughs> um, so it's got a lot of integration. I think some of the um, some of the best parts of it really is how much it, it integrates with everything else. And the support has been outstanding. Oh, that's good. Oh, my gosh. They that's are great good. with support and all. You know, it's um, I think it's like. I'm sorry. I really should know that. Should I say the price if I'm not sure? It's like thirty some bucks a month. It looks like, like it's thirty five a month. Okay, right. Per user. So if you have multiple salespeople, that then it then it. it but they might do actually. have a they do have a thirty day free trial on it. Got to um, love it free takes, trials. Takes a little bit of setup, but um, you know, I didn't find it that complicated, and I'm me, so it can't be that hard. So, uh, so it's got content libraries, and that's kind of an interesting thing. So this looks like it has some email templates in it. So it does. You, do they come, it does have email templates, Do they yes. come like already written and, and you can tweak them, or do you have to like manufacture your own each no, time? No, I think you can tweak them, uh, oh, cool. or you can manufacture your own. Oh, good. Way. Okay. Cool. I like having the choice. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this is, this is cool. You can find it at contactually.com. So it's the word contact with a uly.com <laughs> at the end. Uh, well, of course, we'll link out to it in the show notes today. But I appreciate you bringing this up because, uh, Rod, I, I, you know, I, I think many business owners find themselves in your situation that you're describing, where you know you're responsible in part or in full for sales, right? Um, and a lot of times, we business owners are the most effective salespeople our companies have. Well, that's exactly even right. if we have other people who yep. help with sales. So. Keeping us on track is a big deal. It really is. And Not that we tend to suffer from ADD or anything. <laughs> well, and contactually, is like any other CRM. The bottom line is going to come down to you using it. But it has really... Darn. I know, but it has really uh, kind of forced me because it, it, it'll pop up in my email. It'll give me a little contactually on my phone. It disappears as soon as I swipe it. It's not any big deal. Okay. Um, but it just it's right there. Oh, you need to contact Rick and James and Sarah, you know. Very cool. Yep. All right. Well, I always like that. I got a quick tool for you. Uh, it's also a little bit about keeping you on track. So, Rod, I don't know about you, but I have given up on task lists, reminders, notes. I've tried every notes app under the sun. I, I have a, you are like me then. I yes. have an Evernote account. I use Simple Note. I have like I have a zillion different you know tools. I've tried Wonderlist for you know for doing lists and all this. So I've kind of settled on Google Keep. And, and okay. this is a free app. You can go to google.com slash keep. If you have a Gmail account, it's, it's baked in. It's free. It doesn't, you know, uh, you can put it on Android or iOS and it syncs and it's a little, you can take notes with it. It is very stupid, simple. Everything's got that nice little card interface with, 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 with Google. Um, like if you're an Android user, you've seen these kind of things on Google now. Right. But you can share lists. So Rod, when you go to the grocery store and your wife has given you that list of stuff, she can attach a photo of the thing so you don't buy the wrong one. She can also add to your checklist while you're in public buying the stuff, oh, really? <laughs> which might, might or might not be a good idea. But I'm trying to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Don't do this to me. <laughs> but you're checking the stuff off, and it and it and, it, and it's, it's super simple. You just tap to check off, you know, you know that sort of thing. So it's I like it a lot though because it, again I can use it from my web browser. There's a Google Chrome extension if you want to use Google Chrome for it. Um, you can certainly you know use the mobile app as well. And uh, anyway, it's kind of nice. It's just got a great little user interface. Sounds practical. You can do audio notes. You can do, as I mentioned before, you can also do take photos. Um, and it's just stupid simple. To-do list, checklist. Stupid simple is good, particularly when it comes to those sorts of tasks. Yeah. So I'm referring to it as the Swiss Army knife of like to-do lists and checklists and stuff. Excellent. Anyway, hope you find these tools useful. Uh, we need to hear from you, and especially Josh needs to hear from you today. So if you're listening to today's show, I want you to tweet Josh Muccio. He's at Josh Muccio. 
on Twitter, M-U-C-C-I-O, and give him some crap about missing the lots show. Lots and lots of crap. <laughs> so uh, that'll be fun. And, uh, of course, you can find my esteemed colleague, Rod Thompson, if you need PR visibility uh, and more sales for your business so you can spend time deep sea fishing, as we've already said. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you can find him on the Twitter at Rod underscore Thompson. And remember, there's no P in Thompson. That's right. And you can find David Johnson on Twitter at the David Johnson, because he's the one you know. That's right. That's right. And uh, we have a great show lined up for you next week. Looking forward to having you back with us. And until then, make it a great one. Thanks for listening to the Grow the Dream Show. We invite you to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Get connected to our growing community, add your comments, ask questions, and listen to the archives on the web at growthedream.com slash show.